podcast this week, we have a double whammy of British Oscar winners as Colin Firth and Rachel Feiss. Rachel Feiss. Pop along to talk about their new film, The Mercy. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that just dropped without warning on Netflix this morning. And Netflix were not pleased, let me tell you. They were not happy. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, and one for the very first time. James Dyer, you all know him. You all know how he earns a living. <laughs> I, I like this. I yeah. like being positioned as a kind of Western bounty hunter. This is good. Yeah, as a madman. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't know Ben Travis. Hello. You do now. Hello, Ben. You Hi. are our new online staff writer. Yeah. Uh, making your pod debut today. Yeah, it's wicked to be here. It's wicked to be here. See wicked how young he is. See how young he is. He's just used wicked unironically. Can you imagine if I used the word wicked? Uh, I think you'd be banned in many countries around the world if you used the word wicked. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Uh, okay, so, Ben. Yes. You have 30 seconds to tell the Empire... Uh, podcast listenership about yourself. Wait a okay. second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let me get the timer up. Okay. 30 seconds. Stopwatch. Okay. Go. Uh, so I'm from Nottingham originally. Uh, I live in London now. I love Jurassic Park. It's the best film ever made. Uh, James upset me this week when I was speaking about that. Uh, elsewhere, I love Star Wars. I've read Empire since I was 11 years old. I uh, you must be tired. Yeah, I'm knackered. Non-stop uh, flicking through the mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you want to know? Uh, just you know, your hopes, your dreams. You know um, what, what you want from life. Yeah. Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Yeah, thirty seconds. Thirty we got seconds. The basics in there. Yeah, we got the basics. But it's all good. Welcome to Empire. Thanks. Uh, how how has it been so far? Yeah, all good. James is giving me scary eyes right now, um, so I'm working directly with James. Yeah, don't yeah. tell the truth. Basically, is what that look. He is, means. in many ways, the Anakin Skywalker to my Chancellor Palpatine. I was going to say, is this um, Phantom Menace, small child, or is this? I, I, know, I think we're Hayden probably Christensen? towards the end of Attack of the Clones, starting Revenge of the Sith at this particular point in time. Your journey mm. is oh, what, the massacre complete. Yes. <laughs> I should be asking you to kill a room full of children at some point in the near future. I mean, that fits with everything that's gone on in the last few weeks. <laughs> so, yeah. order sixty-six. Execute order 66. You want this, don't you? Anyway, how's Ben? Forget Ben's in the room. How's he been so far? Has he matched up to expectations? That sort of thing. Well, only time will tell. But only I, t- I am I am turning him to the dark side. He has, uh, uh, he has let go of his uh, mm-hmm. good feelings and embraced his hatred and anger. Okay. And if, uh, Ben, if people want to follow you on the Twitter machine, what can they do? How, how can they do that? They can follow me at Ben S. Travis because somebody already took Ben Travis. What a motherfucker. Yeah. Who did that? Who took Ben I Travis? Know, I think at the time they didn't even use their feed. I think it's probably one, like an egg. Account. Right. Okay. Um, so now I've got a slightly more unwieldy handle. Could right. everyone not follow Ben? Because not, like, half the people who listen to the podcast don't follow me. So if they start following you, I'm going to be very upset. What if they follow so they can us? only follow you if they follow me at James C. Dyer first. Okay, this is this. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, this is a weird thing. So there's a Ben Travis 1973. There's a Ben Travis CEO. I imagine he's a CEO. There's a Ben Travis music. I imagine he does music. There's a Ben Travis 1990 and 99 and 10 uh, and a 94 and a 21. But there's no Ben Travis. There's no oh, at really? Ben Travis. He he's is. Booted. He's a. He's an egg. He's he there's is a Ben egg. Travis. Oh, okay. He hasn't tweeted. 
Now, you could do what I did. I'm not sure if Twitter would still mm. do this, but I didn't used to be at Chris Hewitt. And then the at Chris Hewitt uh, account wasn't mm. being used by whoever had it. And I went to Twitter and I said, this person is impersonating me. So Ooh. kick off their account and give me Chris Hewitt. Crack the you egg. absolute talent. Yeah. That could have been another person called Chris Hewitt. They're not impersonating you. They were just holding their name. But that was the, that's a Twitter policy. That's the only way they would have given you a thing. I do fondly remember the week and a half where Nick and I were verified on Twitter and you weren't. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, but they verify everyone nowadays. They do now. Then you they verified? Do. I'm verified. There you God go. God damn it. Literally anyone. There you go. I'll take that it's back. Ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, welcome, Ben. Uh, it has been a pleasure having you. I'm so sorry about everything. And uh, you ready for your first question on the Empire Podcast? Absolutely. All right, here we go. So this is one that uh, we were we were embroiled in an argument today on Twitter, uh, Jimbo, mm. by Fats Coleman, at Fats Coleman on Twitter, uh, who CC'd us into a conversation he was having. He ran a poll saying simply, is Aliens a horror film? Now, Aliens is your favourite film of all time. It's, it is. it's one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, is Aliens a horror movie? Now, as you we were recording this, the poll is 60% no and 40% yes. And we've been going back and forth with some people on Twitter because we, you and I have both said unequivocally it is not a horror movie. It's not. But other people suggest that it is a horror film. They're wrong. Why are they wrong? <laughs> now we get into the whole issue of genre bleed, don't we? I mean, it's not. It's an action movie. It's a sci-fi action movie. Specifically, it's a sci-fi platoon movie. It has horrific elements, but it's not a horror film. Uh, I mean, yes, if you were to to Netflix categorise it in terms of many, many, many sub-genres, you could probably put it has horror aspects in there. Mm -hmm. It also has comedy aspects in there, but it's not a fucking comedy. Um, Well, the the horror aspects are are more prevalent than than comedy comedy. aspects. Certainly, but they do exist. It's, uh, it's like we kicked this around when we when we did our list of the best horror movies. Like, what defines a horror film? What is a horror film? And I seem to recall us getting into it with Johnny Parle, who insisted that Jurassic Park is a horror film. It isn't. It's not a horror. Uh, film. No, but he insisted that it was because it has horror elements in it. But I kind of in my head, I defined a horror film as something where its primary motivation, its primary goal as a film, is to scare you. Like that is its raison d'être. Um, the I think the BFI and oh, I have a definition here, and it was the BFI's horror film are unsettling films designed to frighten and panic, cause dread and alarm, and invoke our hidden worst fears, often in a terrifying, shocking finale, while captivating and entertaining us at the same time. Which is, frankly, quite woolly. But you get the point. It's sort of it's designed to terrify first and foremost, and Aliens uh, isn't designed to do that. Alien is a horror movie, mm-hmm. without doubt. Mm-hmm. Aliens was never designed as a horror film. That's not what Cameron wanted to do. He wasn't trying to replicate what Ridley Scott did. He was trying to spin out into do and do something different, which is exactly what I mean, he did. Aliens is more like thrills than outright yeah. scares, right? Uh, there, there are like there scary are scary moments, but yeah. it's built into the tension of the action sequences mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. of the kind of situation that the characters are in, rather than being the kind of like jump stare cat moments and the face hugger moments and stuff from from alien which are outright horror beats oh there are it, it, it there has, are jump scares in this a it fair has number of yeah them. it has jump scares it has horror beats absolutely uh ripley's dream sequence where the where she sees the alien emerging from her chest is a really unsettling image it's very very hard to shake there's the moment that always gets me every time i watch it <laughs> when there's a face hugger in uh in a glass yeah, display and it, case and it has a massive erection against yeah, the glass and it thumps yeah. against the the glass yeah. and it always gets me oh he likes you Burke you know I, but and the, the, the cocooned colonist when she opens her eyes and yes. the strings 
Yeah, do that little. There scary are bit. there are mm. definitely horror beats. Mm. I will say that yes, but it is not primarily a horror film. No. Uh, in the same way that uh, you wouldn't call Captain America: The First Avenger has a musical number in it, but it's not a musical. <laughs> so just because a movie has some elements in it doesn't mean that it is that thing. Well, I would say. But we kicked around all sorts of stuff when we did this horror list. I mean, because Ghostbusters is kind of a comedy horror, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not well, a horror uh, film, but it has it has very strong horror elements. Yes, to but. It. I would say I would say Ghostbusters is closer to horror yeah, than, than, than Aliens, Aliens is so because I. it is is concerned with the supernatural. It's concerned with evil. It is it does set out to scare you. And it Gremlins really does. is another one. Gremlins is another one as well. Yeah, and, and certainly yeah. Someone someone uh, got in touch with me on Twitter. Went a, a, a film can be more than one thing. Yes, it can. it can. It can. But this is about is it a horror movie? No. Does it have horror elements and horror beats? Yes. But those horror beats subside as the movie goes on and it becomes uh, an all-out action movie. I would say even the, the bit towards the end, uh, and spoiler if you haven't seen uh, Aliens, by the way, where the, the aliens come in through the ceiling, that's tension. That's not horror. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it stops having horror beats pretty much around the time that the, uh, the facehuggers... Um, Sports a massive jubby, uh, to to paraphrase James. I'd never thought of it in those terms before, but um, yeah. So, are we definitively are we de- are we decided? Yeah. What would you say the Terminator is? Would you describe that as a horror film? No, no. I think the sci-fi no. elements are so strong, and the time travel element is so integral to the story that for me, that's like primarily sci-fi. It's less. I, I think I, I don't view it as a horror now. I think I did at the time. I mean, again, it was categorised as horror in my video store. I remember that quite clearly. Yeah, another uh, guy. Another guy got in touch and said, "Well, tell that to the people who put aliens in the horror yeah. section. I want to have a word with those people because yeah. they're wrong." But it's interesting because the Terminator has a, a lot of tropes, obviously, of, of stalker slash yeah, movies. Exactly. Uh, for example, it's very similar to The Hitcher, which is a film I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And The Hitcher, I would say, is absolutely. 100% yeah. a horror film, yeah. but The Terminator is not. Definitively answered hmm. at Fats Coleman. And if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, and quite frankly, why wouldn't you? You'd be weird if you didn't. Uh, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We are at Empire Magazine on Twitter. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as well. And you can email us also where we are podcast at empireonline.com. Or you can just DM Ben. His DMs are open. Slide into his DMs. Please don't. Please don't. I just realised, Ben, I don't follow you on Twitter. Oh. Is that actually... Really? <laughs> yeah. Dreadful, oh. man. Hang on a second. This is this you checking? You're not going to follow me now. You're this is going to be the first checking. This is going to be the first live follow. Follow Follow oh. the other Ben Travis first. Online staff on. writer at Empire Magazine. My visual acuity is based on movement. If the apocalypse comes, tweet me. Ben, I am your 1,928th follower. Hey. Look at that. Did you know, Look Chris, I got an announcement from Facebook yesterday to tell me that you were my first ever Facebook friend. That's fucking tragic. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. There was a little picture. It was like, it had a little heart around it and everything. What? Yeah. That wasn't meant to be in the public domain. Right. thing. Okay, there we go. I'm, I'm very honoured. Uh, should we talk about some movie news? There's so, some big news. What's the big news? I don't know. It might be something Star Wars related. It might be a couple of Star Wars related things. It might be all Star Wars. All Star Wars. All Star Wars all the time. We've right. had not one but two mm-hmm. trailers for Ron Howard's solo A Star Wars Story. We mean not one but I two. I mean, look, look, we had a little Super Bowl spot and then we had a trailer, but I'm saying... But they have, have different things, things in them. They do have different things in them. Yeah, 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 there's different stuff in the spot. Yeah. Wow, I wasn't paying that much attention, to be honest. So that was quite exciting. I mean, this is we are three months out from release on this film and this is the first, realistically, that we've mm-hmm. actually seen from it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were kind of hoping that this might suddenly 
frankly make us all redundant but just drop on release day and just give us something genuinely new and surprising uh, that was never going to happen but this was interesting <laughs> yeah the, the, no one's ever going to release a film without <laughs> warning without marketing without trailers posters anything, uh, anything yeah. like that that's a that's a pipe dream forget about that that's not going to happen can you imagine if Hans Hello had dropped on Netflix on Monday <laughs> and we'd have been like, what the hell? Yeah, it would have been interesting. It would have been a lot of sickies yeah. in the Empire. Yeah, was, I think, day. yeah, I think in time. But yeah, it's, it is. It's like I said last week. It's cutting the nose off the spider face because if yeah. that happened and it was a huge hit, and then suddenly all studios go, oh, we don't need to do any marketing whatsoever, and then you, you know, you and I are out of a job, and yeah. it's yeah. just us sitting in this pod booth talking about stuff we've seen on streaming, <laughs> essentially, which is probably where it's going to end up. Let's be honest. But uh, it's it's certainly a, a, an interesting trailer. Uh, what do we think of it? I think that the the overriding thing is that it looks a bit darker than I was expecting. Yeah, it's quite muted. Like the tone of of the of the trailer itself and of the visuals and stuff. Considering we were all expecting this to be like comedy, right? I yeah. think the tone is misleading. Uh, from what I have heard, the comedy is strong in this. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you've read, uh, there have been some articles recently, some interviews recently, uh, which have implied very much that the tone is very light and it is very comedic so I think this is a trailer that slightly missells it mm-hmm. I also think it's a remarkably generic trailer and I think it's very bland and there's not a lot that's memorable in it I still have a lot of hope that this film will be very good however you compare and contrast this with the first uh, trailers for The Force Awakens or The Last mm-hmm. Jedi or even Rogue One and it's not in the same league there, there's no there's no money shot in the trailer there's no. no that one moment that everyone is talking about apart from I mean the biggest thing really is is the shot of Donald Glover as Lando which is which is the best amazing thing. Yeah, he looks fantastic and all that stuff. he impresses in a way that all Aaron Reich really doesn't, doesn't. Uh, yeah. because he does a <laughs> he does a very good impression of someone who is nothing like Harrison Ford. Well, what he's clearly um, what he's clearly done, and it's really really unfair to judge things on based on mm-hmm. how many seconds of speaking footage, fifteen, twenty seconds. Yeah. So I'm not going to go down that path just yet. Uh, let's wait and see the finished thing. But what he clearly seems to have done is choose not to sound like Harrison Ford. Yeah. He's not doing a Harrison Ford impression, and I think that's probably the right thing to do. I think probably. You're going to have people comparing him to Harrison Ford anyway. If yeah. he was doing an impression, it would just... He's leaving himself open for a kick-in, to be it's, honest. It's so he's thank- trying to forge his own thing. It's a thankless task to take on a role previously occupied by one of Hollywood's most charismatic actors. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a tough act to follow. But he doesn't... It's certainly in that trailer, he doesn't have it, where Donald Glover, in essentially one shot without opening his mouth, really does. Uh, so that's unfortunate for him. Well, we shall see. Yes. Also in Star Wars news, uh-huh. a new trilogy. Another one. A new trilogy, not Ryan Johnson's new mm-hmm. trilogy, but an uh, altogether different trilogy. Yes. Uh, behind that being uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, uh, the Game of Thrones showrunners, yes. which is very, very exciting I mean, in a kind that of fandom collides yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited and nervous in equal measure because I feel so invested in Game of Thrones that I know I know the scripts are done and they're mm-hmm. like already shooting, but there is a big part of me that just goes, please get the end yeah. of Game of Thrones right and then move on. But, Keep your eyes on the ball, people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I think this is this is really exciting news. Like the prospects of those guys who um, they get a bit of flack these days. The, the response to this on uh, on some of our social channels. Was was pretty mixed overall. People, um, yeah, yeah, it was. Aren't as like overwhelmingly positive on Game of Thrones as they once were, and I think partly like the uh, the recent really? seasons where, okay. yeah, Benioff and Weiss have, have kind of had to forge on uh, without the uh, the kind of firm base of the books. They they know where the plot's going, but they're the ones kind of telling that story rather than 
yeah. adapting that story. It's the internet in negativity shocker. Yeah, uh, pe- we talked about this in the office yesterday. Yeah. I mean, it, I people give Benny and Weiss shit for the fact that they think Game of Thrones has kind of gone down in quality, mm. and I think that's wildly unfair. I think it has. Uh, it's certainly sped up. I think the tone has certainly changed. But also, like people don't even they're not even referring to the most recent season they're just saying that the latter seasons aren't as good as the early seasons but frankly the same criticism can be leveled at the book the first Mm -hmm. three of Martin's books are vastly superior Peaks with the Storm of Swords uh, and uh, A Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons are not as good so it shouldn't be a shock that the you know relevant episodes associated (coughs) with them aren't as good either I don't think they've done a bad job at all Mm -hmm. in sort of forging ahead into into, you know the undiscovered country as it were um, no, I think they're great. I'm very excited that they're doing this. I think they've shown an ability to collaborate mm-hmm. with you know world builders in the past. I think they're phenomenal storytellers, uh, and their eye for detail and, and mythology is great. So, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what they create as a kind of counterpoint to what Ryan Johnson does with his trilogy. Uh, and while you know, there's there is the concern that we are going to at some point get to saturation point, and it's going to become like really more Star Wars. Uh, I'm nowhere near that point, and this has invigorated me. I'm uh, I'm very excited. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting to see how well Solo does from that standpoint. But this is another new trilogy, so we've got two new trilogies. Mm-hmm. I do wonder whether the Skywalker saga is going to wrap up with Episode Nine. Whether they're I mean, going to they're going to forge ahead into uncharted territory. They're going to have to leave it for at least ten years or so, right, before they go back and do. If there is another Skywalker trilogy, that's going to be at least. A decade away, isn't it? Surely after after the end of episode nine, you need. I feel like it needs that sizable gap to generate the excitement of those characters. I feel it does, and- but I also feel that there should be three three years between episodes, and <laughs> and that's not the case. That is absolutely yeah. not the case. So things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether they go more than two Star Wars films a year is going to be one to keep an eye on. Because mm. I mean, and- Marvel have got to the point where they can churn this stuff out. You know, we've got three this year. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's not inconceivable that Star mm-hmm. Wars could do something similar, though it does require them broadening the canvas significantly. Yeah, which is one thing I think that Marvel and certainly DC are trying, yeah. so that every film is different. And the yeah. X-Men movies are doing that pretty well at the moment. I really enjoyed the Deadpool 2 trailer that came out this week. I thought it was mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of fun. And I'm really looking forward to that film. If we get if we get three Star Wars films a year and they're all, they all have the same palette and they all play in the same sandpit, then that's going to be mm-hmm. tricky. But Black Panther is as different from Avengers Infinity War as you can get, I'm guessing. I haven't seen Infinity War yet. but uh, And then we know that Ant-Man and the Wasp is not going to be as large or, or planet-smashy. So, and uh, Thor Ragnarok was in a different planet, literally. And well, it was, as you know, it was <laughs> Marvel's first comedy, right, James? Yes. yes yeah. exactly what it was. That's exactly what a it was. A comedy, not a horror. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that one. Here's an interesting one. Okay. So Arnold Schwarzenegger has mm-hmm. signed on to an Amazon limited series. So not a TV show as such, but a limited event series on Amazon called Outrider, mm-hmm. which is a Western in which he plays a US Marshal. Now, interestingly, no one to my knowledge has reported this fact, but this is a project that has been knocking around for the better part of two decades. And yet no one seems to have picked up on this. Like he was Outrider was a project that he was considering as a movie before he went into politics. Uh, and the only reason I know this, when I did my big um, Schwarzenegger interview for, when we did the big Schwarzenegger issue of Empire, he talked about this film and he said that when he had gone back, when he was doing The Last Stand, that Outright had resurfaced and he was trying to get it back off the ground as a movie. So clearly it's kind of metamorphosed from a movie to a limited series. 
uh, which is quite interesting. He also ruined it for me by telling me the ending, which I wasn't <laughs> sure. Yeah. Literally, he goes, ah, oh, yes, we are looking for the outrider, and it's this, and X, X, beep, 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 happens at the end. Great. Cheers. Thanks, Arnie. Brilliant. <laughs> Won't be watching that, then. Uh, no, it, might have, it might have changed. It might have changed. But it sounds, it sounds very good. It does sound very good. Um, it's uh, interesting. Him as the first uh, Austrian-US marshal in the Wild West. Mm. Okay, that's it. That, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm on board for that. Yeah. Well, there's a Conan, a King Conan yeah. series yeah, as well. Also going to Amazon, but not with but not featuring Arnold. Not with Arnold, yeah, yeah, which seems like a strange one, unless they want a, a younger King Conan. Mm. Should we talk more about some of the trailers that dropped around the Super Bowl? Yeah, we've had yeah. so many this yeah, week. You, well, you mentioned Deadpool. Let's start with that one. Yeah. It didn't drop at the Super Bowl, but let's talk about it anyway. Bowl, but that, that dropped very unexpectedly yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yesterday afternoon. Yeah, which was pretty awesome. Really well, fun. yesterday when we're recording this, two days ago when you're listening to it. Really, really unexpected. Uh, loads of personality, loads of fun. Heavy on the cable. The cable guy, yeah, if you will. Yeah, they've really dialed in on, on, on cable, and but still delivering all the, all the kind of Deadpool... There's one Meta shot, irreverence. there is one f- shot, it's basically a small handful of frames in this where you see Deadpool in the back of a helicopter and you see him with Domino mm-hmm. and you see him with someone behind him with a kind of looks like a skull jaw and you see him with Terry Crews next to him mm-hmm. as, insert name of character here. And I, 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 was, I, I was desperately trying to work out who these are these people we know. You know, I listen to Terry Crews, do you look a bit like Bishop? No, you don't, not really. Were those dreadlocks? No, it's hard to say. I couldn't work out who anyone was. Yeah, ac- according to the internet uh, that group is uh, confirmed as X-Force see you say that but which X-Force are we saying the new X-Force which it can't be that because that's Wolverine X-23 Deadpool that lot and it's like old X-Force is like Feral Shatterstar you know all it's not them so is it an X-Force that I just am unfamiliar with you have outmarvelled me. Sorry. I do not know. <laughs> um, I have the first, I have the number one X-Force somewhere mm. in my loft I think yeah, I think I do too yeah yeah um, I like to try to I thought yeah. it was fun, and uh, it has that lovely breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. bit where Deadpool yeah. comes in in the middle of the trailer and starts playing with the toys. Because <laughs> yeah. so, yes. they haven't finished effects yet, yeah. it's nice. And I love the payoff line as well, where uh, Cable says to him, you know, something along the lines of, you're fucked, and Deadpool, Wade Wilson just turns the camera and goes, well, that's just really lazy writing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Reynolds absolutely owns that He's role. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. cannot wait uh, to see it. I mean, his, his personal... Twitter feed is pretty much indistinguishable from from the yeah. calls, right? Yeah, they're it's, one and the same. Yeah, it's one of those great marriages of character and mm-hmm. an actor. Where you you cannot see the join. You can't see the join between Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark. You can't see the join between Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool. They're just absolutely they become one. Uh, I'm very excited about this. There were other great trailers as well. That the Mission Impossible Fallout trailer looked fantastic. That really won the good. Super Bowl for yeah. me. That was like that was the one that really yeah. stood out. It's so. Punchy, literally and figuratively, with mm. Henry Cavill absolutely yeah. knocking the crap that out of That bit where um, Jerry Maguire beat up Superman was mental. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's going to be it's going to be full on. I mean, the last three Mission Impossible films really have, have all been like I've gone into them with relatively like high, but the not my most anticipated films of the summer. Mm-hmm. But this one really yeah. is based on the last few. And we can all agree that the franchise peaked with number three. But you know, it's, it's no, good. no, we can't. We cannot agree. That's that's a stupid opinion. <laughs> It's your opinion. You're, you're entitled to your right to be wrong. So that's that's okay. It's a horror. The, uh, trailer has, <laughs> it's a horror. The trailer has Tom Cruise hanging off three separate things. Which mm-hmm. um, I mean, you've got to have Tom Cruise hanging I, off a lot of stuff on. Have you seen Have you seen the featurette about the helicopter? 
No, the, bit where the helicopter yeah. sequence. He fucking learned to fly a helicopter and flies the helicopter. It's but puts, like, it, puts it into a downward spiral as well. Like, man, this is you're putting stuntmen out of business. They've got to yeah. be union rules that don't allow this. But it's, it's also you know this. He's been injured on this movie. Yeah, Have you and seen the, the, slow, the, the slow mo footage. Of yeah, him? yeah. The, the, the shots, the shots, and the shots in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- this trailer seems to be about the number of ways in which they've tried to kill Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know, like you see him hitting uh, on a bike, and I'm sure there's some sort of CG work involved there to blur the lines, smashing into a car and flying off or, off the bike. You know, he smacks into the building, he falls off things, and maybe set up the idea as well that Ethan Hunt is is more fallible than he has mm-hmm. been in the in the in the uh, most recent movies. Uh, there was a Jurassic World trailer as well. That was good. I enjoyed that yeah, one. Yeah. It's got some, looks like some decent uh, scares in store. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, as a, I mentioned, massive Jurassic Park fan. That's my favourite film. I am ready for it to be scary again. I know we were saying... A horror. Is, yeah. It is, no, it's sort of a horror film. But the uh, Jurassic World really kind of... It, it wasn't scary. It was more all-out action. And I was quite worried with the first Jurassic World uh, 2 trailer with all the exploding volcano and dinosaur stampede and that kind of thing that it seemed to be very, very action-heavy. But this trailer has a lot of really creepy stuff and it seems like there's going to be lots of the second half of the film set in a big old creepy house Uh, because they confirmed that the first trailer with all the volcano stuff is all within the first 50-ish minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, So presumably then a lot of the really kind of... Yeah, quite scary and dark and and uh, all that stuff, I think, is going to be and we where can, it goes. And we can off, very much look forward island. to the return of Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard as colossal gender stereotypes A and B. So that's nice. Yeah, hopefully they've switched up that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just looking to see very, very quickly. There's a ton of stuff happened this week. We've already talked about most yeah. of it. Stephen Merchant has joined a girl in the spider's web. Or a girl in the spider's oh. web. Um, David Leach might be doing the Fast and Furious spin-off. Yeah, that's pretty awesome because that man knows his way around an action set piece. So this is the uh, this is the uh, the Rock and the, the Stath one. The Stath, Rock Hobbs and, and Shaw. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I mean, I'm on board for that. If you've seen John Wick, if you've seen Atomic Blonde, this man is you know he knows his. Onion, yeah. So. And the uh, we we won't we're recording this before the the Phenom trailer has hit, mm-hmm. so we won't know what that's like. But we will end on one last trailer, and you just mentioned Dwayne Johnson, Skyscraper. Yeah. A.K.A. Die Hard in a bigger building. It's Die Hard meets San Andreas, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, with the emphasis, I would say, more heavily on the San Andreas. Yeah. It's uh, part of that. It's equation. one of these films where I don't imagine for a second it's great, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it looks fun. <laughs> yeah. It looks fun. They, it, that tra- The poster that they put out just before the trailer drop looked yeah. like... Um, Fast and Furious 7 moment where it's the, the car flying between three different skyscrapers. Yeah. Except if the car was The Rock. Yeah. And I'm up for that. I'm up for it as well. It looks absolutely appalling. <laughs> we pointed out that some of the some of the CGI, not even of the skyscraper, is like terrible. If there's that shot of him walking in through the through the foyer, uh-huh. and they can't they haven't CGI'd the, the foyer to look realistic. That's a trailer. They'll finish it in yeah. time. It's all good. But it does. It, I, I'm with Jimbo in this. It looks terrible. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's he doesn't make that jump. There's no, no way there's he makes no that jump. Way. There's no like, physics none. does not allow. And frankly, even if he does, he bounces off the glass. Yeah, there's a very... Well, there's a, a hole in the glass, as the poster shows. So he's jumping for a hole. He's he's not trying to jump through the glass. He's trying to jump, He's trying to aim for a hole. Frankly, unless there's a tilt on the table, it's not happening. I think so. I think so. A very funny Twitter thread about the, 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 the rock. The trajectory. Uh, it, is. Yeah. 
Uh, he, he's dead. Yeah, he's yeah. dead. Spoiler. Rest in uh, peace. So Jordan Peele might be doing a sequel to Get Out. I think we can all agree will be called Get In. <laughs> or someone else might be maybe And Stay Out. <laughs> that would be meta. Which would be good. What are they, I haven't heard that news. Where did yeah, that from? he was yeah. uh, talking to The Hollywood Reporter. I think it was at one of the Oscar lunches. Mm-hmm. And he... It wasn't, I'm definitely doing it, but it was, I'm actually seriously considering this. Uh, Mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. says that he thinks there's uh, more story to tell, Mm -hmm. and um, obviously there are some threads hanging at the end. Uh, But yeah, he's he's basically said uh, that I am seriously considering it, but I won't do it unless I come up with something really good. Which is always good advice. Yes. Um, Uh, Yeah, I've come up with something shit, guys. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. We start filming in April. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine if someone said that? I, I've got no ideas. I've run out of ideas, but they offer me a great big whacking sack of cash. This is one of these awkward things, isn't it? Where on the one hand, I really enjoyed that film, and I'd mm-hmm. love to see more from those characters who I hugely enjoyed. But on the other hand, you know, it works so well as a kind of capsule horror movie that yeah. I just feel it would lessen it in some way. Not everything needs no, a sequel. Absolutely not. And that is a horror film. Yeah. It is. It's a horror film. And an action sci-fi pleasure movie. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, all right, that is it for the movie news. We will be discussing Cloverfield Paradox and everything that that involved uh, in the reviews section in just a second. But first off, first off, this week's guests, as I said in the intro, a double whammy of British Oscar-winning goodness, Colin Firth and Rachel Feiss, never worked together, weirdly enough. I checked it out. I thought maybe they might have had like an episode of Inspector Morse or Casualty in their past, but no, they've been ships in the night until now, until this week's The Mercy, where Colin Firth plays Donald Crowhurst who embarked on an ill-fated attempt to sail around the world in 1969. That is not a spoiler. You can look this up. And uh, Rachel Weisz plays his wife, Claire Crowhurst, who stayed at home whilst he went off on this solo adventure and waited for him to come back. Uh, It's directed by James Marsh. We'll talk about it in the review section as well. I liked it a lot. I think these two are terrific in the movie, and they were terrific together as well. When I went to speak to him this week at a top London hotel, we spoke about a great many things... And then we got a little bit sillier towards the end as well. So enjoy that stuff. Here we are, Colin Firth and Rachel Feiss. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined by Rachel Feiss and Colin Firth, stars of The Mercy. How are you both? Very well, thanks. How are you? Very well. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So it's the morning after the night before. Last night you had your world premiere. uh, And now here you are doing press. I imagine you'd rather have the day off. (laughs) Are you okay? Always. (laughs) You can be honest with me. Well, the other answer is it's been very interesting to hear everyone's reactions which is kind of what we've gotten to hear and yeah. a, a couple of people have said to us that um that they felt like it was a horror film which yes hadn't maybe it crossed your mind but it hadn't crossed my mind as a kind of genre uh, heading that it was a sort yeah. of psychological internal horror movie Absolutely. um no you know that the monsters are, are within rather uh-huh. than outside but i thought that was a really i thought that was really interesting you know when when you uh, dig into the to, to the story and some of his experiences as he reported them, some of that actually becomes explicit. And I don't want to reduce that to a banal point about it feeling like horror, but one of his recordings, and this hadn't really quite occurred to me until I heard it, is it, it's almost magical thinking, a fear of the supernatural. Mm. Um, and I thought, of course that's going to be a component after all that solitude and the kind of fears that they're, they're going to... They're going to manifest that way, yeah. um, you know, because I, I, you know, because I don't know anything about sailing or this, this kind of adventure. I, I thought, well, yeah, well, you're going to be afraid of storms, and you're going to be afraid of things going wrong with your boat, and you're going to be there are all sorts of uh, th- threatening situations. But I didn't 
think that what's it like at night thinking what's that coming through the companionway what's that noise yes. under the boat yes. why does the moon look weird tonight yes and, um, and maybe superstitions yeah. building up i don't know which is obviously with sailors is huge is it? Yes. Uh, and, uh, well, rather, you know, it's interesting. We have superstitions in the acting profession, obviously, in the theatre. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're not supposed to whistle in, uh, in the theatre. You're not supposed to whistle backstage. And I think that came from sailors because they were the people who came in to do the rigging in the early days of the theatre. And really? so I think there's something in common. When you have a situation that where your fate is not entirely in your hands. Yeah. And I, I think this, this, you know, not that I'm pretending to know, but you hear these stories from soldiers as well, that you become very superstitious because your your life and death is is, is in the hands of random things, mm. and so you start to develop little kind of you make deals with the unexplained mm. um, to try to make your fate feel better, mm. um, and so I think that uh, that probably unlocks. That's, that contributes it to, yeah. uh, to it, yeah. Especially there's there's a there's a line in the film at one point about how no one is lonelier than a man on the sea in a boat, and I, I feel that sometimes when you, I've never been in that situation, but I imagine Crowhurst was trying desperately to rationalise himself and to to not lose sight of himself as the only person that in his immediate worldview, the only person for miles around, and I, I imagine then you you start to think, oh, there must be things bigger than I. Yes, you're in conversation with your imagination the whole time. Yeah. Because the only other living contact you have is, is on the other end of a radio or fish and birds, basically. I mean, it's... it's and um, so I, I, I'm sure, you know, his, 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 his imaginary conversations are going on all the time. Mm. But, I mean, I think the loneliness, in some ways, you were saying, was just as great for Claire. You know, being lonely amongst mm. people is not, no less lonely. Mm, and having to perform for the cameras that came to visit her and document her... Duties as the you know the loyal wife, which she was. That yeah. wasn't a performance, but the performance mu- must have been that she didn't want cameras shoved in her face, yes. and she was in a lot of distress and pain. And also for her kids, the, oh. the performance of uh, "I'm terrified for my husband. I'm worried he's not going to come back, but I can't show that. I can't mm. even remotely let that on." Exactly, exactly. I've, I've found that very moving, and, and the grace in which, in the documentary footage, I've I've seen of her from from the time when she was she was full of grace and dignity mm. and very very noble because um, she must have been suffering so much underneath in terms of uh, in terms of the research for this uh Colin I imagine you, you did you read all of Donald's logs all his diaries that he that he left behind on on the boat yeah I, I, I it became an obsession um it's it, it's calling it an obsession sounds as if it was just some sort of you know fevered uh, exercise in consuming everything it it it's it's almost presumptuous to say it about a real person who I've never met, but it, it, it feels like a relationship. You know, you start to see a part of yourself that's like him, and then there's a real him, and you can hear his voice uh, on his tapes, and you can read his words, and there's you can there's a great intimacy in that. You know, these are the words of a man alone, mm-hmm. and uh, I know he was. They weren't they weren't true probably to what to everything he was really thinking because they were performances in a way because they were for the BBC. Yes. Um, but nevertheless, you're hearing a man who's been alone for months and months and months speaking into a microphone to be heard. And, you know, I'm the one on the other end listening. And I kept having this temptation to join the conversation. Um, and it, it, it does go a long way to putting you, putting you in someone else's position. Mm. 
um, you know, his personal writings, his uh, less personal writings, his recordings, but he did write about his dilemmas. I mm. mean, the thing you hear in the film, my chances are at best 50-50. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't... Uh, that, that's, those are his words. And uh, it's... At which point did he say that? It's, he wrote it in his log. Uh, he was in the South Atlantic. It was around the time he was... Where, I can't Sorry, remember. it's a hard question. No, 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 no. I can't remember where he was geographically. Mm. Well, no. Uh, at that point, he was. I think he he had. He went his radio silence. I think he was. I think I. I if I remember, anyone can look this up, yeah. so it doesn't yeah. really matter. But yeah. I think he was about three months three in. Three months in. Wow. Uh, it might have been less than that, but I, he was about three months in when he he uh, he's. Listen, he he could have probably made it to the Cape mm. um, of Good Hope. And uh, it was it was it was fairly early on because I, I, I'm afraid I, if you'd asked me two mm. years ago, I'd have had <laughs> a much time. No, it was such a long time ago. <laughs> because you know he it was before he decided to to um, uh, to go into ra- radio silence, mm-hmm. and it was clearly before he was um, out of contact and before there was any discrepancy between where he was and where people thought he was. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think at that point he might have had... It was when, you know, before he, he might have had... He still had the option just to pull in. Right. But the problem he got himself into at that early stage was, um, you know, because I think he avoided ever explicitly lying about anything. Mm-hmm. Despite all these appearances and all this, you know, people thinking that there was a cheat and hoaxing and all, I, he actually, I think, was always trying to avoid... I think he loved the truth. And I think it tormented him that he had had to depart from it. Mm. What he said about his speeds were f- explicitly false mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the early stages. Mm-hmm. You can call that a small, you know, compared to pretending I went around the world, that's a small lie. But mm-hmm. then he did sail that fast on the... Well, he eventually made that speed. He reported yeah. 127 uh, nautical miles in a day, yeah. which would have been a record. And on his way back, where he was, I think, recording authentic speeds... Yes. Um, he did. He achieved that. Wow. He, but he Amazing. was past caring because yeah. he was in such a, a terrible predicament by that time. Wow. He wasn't celebrating his speeds anymore. And he was trying to slow down. Yes. So, you know, in, the, in those early stages, um, I think, you know, he, he thought, OK, maybe I'll cheer them up back home. Maybe this will get the press agent off my back. Yeah. You know, they, and then, but the press agent exaggerated even further his progress. <laughs> As press agents and then there were misunderstandings uh, about where he was. Yeah. And suddenly he was in this position which he never intended, I don't think, which was he was suddenly about 3,000 miles from where he was supposed to be, which made giving up and pulling in even more difficult. Because, you know, how do you pull into a port when you're supposed to be somewhere else? Yeah. So I think he tried to fix one problem and created a bigger one, and it ended up becoming something of catastrophic proportions. In, in terms of your research as well, Rachel, I mean, am I right in thinking you chose not to get in touch with her? You chose not to talk to her? or I, I haven't met her. You haven't I met would her, very okay. much like to meet her. Okay. Um, but that's obviously a conscious choice then on your part, or was it a conscious choice on her part not to? I don't know. It, was, it wasn't a conscious choice on my part. Okay. Um, I, I can't speak for her, but I, I don't course. know if I don't know if she. Um, I would love to meet her. Is, yes. is, is I would love to talk to her and meet her, but I, I also would completely respect and understand if she would rather not be. Yeah, know, of course. Yeah, of course. So, but I would. Yeah, I would be. I would welcome meeting her. Because I, I imagine when you're when you're 
playing real life uh, people who are still alive and, and and not just people who are still alive in terms of uh, Donald's logs and diaries and in terms of Claire being alive uh, is there a sense as, as actors that of how far you wish to push your research and into the realms of intrusion in a way do you want to talk to someone and and you know about what they actually experienced in in, in this very tragic situation when you're listening to donald's uh voice recordings and the private thoughts of, of a man do you is there sometimes you think oh, oh, maybe i've gone a little bit too far or should i pull back it's a good question and yes there are times when you would want to pull back but these were Donald Crow has public thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. So in, in in a way that doesn't apply to to the recordings. Yes. Because these weren't confidences that he was leaving for his family. This was his BBC recordings. Yes. Yes. Um, so it didn't apply to that. I think it did apply, perhaps even though he wrote it and left it on board the boat for everybody to read, um, what he was going through in his last days. Because that was when his tone changed. And he wrote a kind of philosophy um, where he... I mean, it's been characterised as a kind of manic raving, uh, where he went from just recording his daily life to uh, saying he was a cosmic being mm-hmm. and um, and using bits of Einstein. And, uh, you know... Uh, it, in order to, I think, rationalise an alternative to his predicament. Yes. In a way, in a way, I find it there's a, there's a coherence in it. Yes. I think, how, you know, it, it, there, I, there's this idea that his spirit could migrate into a, and evolve into a new dimension, um, and that that was ultimately the fate of the human race, and that somehow he was initiating that process for all of us. Wow. Uh, we were going to become disembodied. And to me, that's... How do you get off the boat otherwise? He couldn't go home. Um, he couldn't stay on that boat forever. It's his, his road home had been closed to him. And I think it was this yearning to get off, be mm. free, and, and, um, and, and to still be finding something that was positive and joyous. You definitely can feel that you are getting in very intimate with somebody's sort of yeah. private mental state. Yeah. But there he, he, you know, also he did want to share that. Um, he was speaking to all of us when he wrote that. And, um, and it, you know, he, he was, it was there for, I think he, he wanted it to be, mm. to be read. And, and Rachel, when, you, when you're approaching playing a real life person as well, do you, do you, not let that bother you in a way do you because i imagine you just want to forge the character as it's on the page as it is in your mind without having to worry about am i nailing this person's mannerisms and personally i I, i'm not interested in in trying to do an imitation yeah um kind of a photocopy of uh the person but if there is source material and that there were plenty of interviews rather like what colin's saying that they're public uh performances of the self um but they you know that presentation can tell you a lot about someone um i mean all of that's very useful uh and um you can internalize it and then imagine your own your own your own version of the character will come up i I am not her i'm not an imitation artist and you know i'm (laughs) just trying to tell her story but it's fuel it's all uh it's um 
it was it was helpful. Yes, it was constructive, and uh, yeah. You see, you know, I'd echo what you said about the you know because I, I I'm not especially interested in the mimicry side of things either, and I I think it's it's only really a pressure when you're playing someone that is so recognizable. Yeah, iconic in some yeah. way. Mm. Uh, otherwise, I think take advantage of the freedom to use as much of yourself as possible. Mm. I was once offered Elizabeth Taylor. I got too scared. Really? Just because she's so famous, you mm. know, and, you know, so everyone knows exactly what she seemed like, right? <laughs> yes. Terrifying. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> so it, filmed. Was that, was that an immediate no or did you No, did you no, I it? really wanted to, but I didn't dare. It was too, it was, yeah, too scary. You'd have made it marvellous. <laughs> well, it? thank you. That's yeah. why I'm just waiting for that. <laughs> Oh man, that's a, that's a shame. Uh, but there's there's a really interesting thread throughout the the movie at the very beginning of the movie, and that Donald knew that he was ill prepared. He knew that he was sailing into disaster deep down inside, and that, you know, even in the movie, he tries to pull out in, on the night before. Uh, and I've been in a situation where I have, I'm hopelessly underprepared for things. Uh, most interviews, as you'll have noticed in the last ten minutes or so, uh, and <laughs> hardly. Oh come on now! I just wondered if you've been in that situation as as actors. There are other moments when you just haven't been prepared the night before a film, the night before a play, and you just know, oh God, how am I going to get through this? You can tell me, I'm a doctor. Yeah, for me, yes, <laughs> yes. It often feels not well prepared enough. Um, well, I think of a good story. No, I don't. But I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's almost every day I have a moment like that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And because the actors have the anxiety dream. You had the anxiety dream. I'm right. on stage and oh, yeah. I I'm, suddenly don't know. I'm what playing it. Hamlet and I haven't learned the lines. Yeah. Always that. It's always Hamlet. And I just I just I did it for O level. So I I guess oh god, I can remember like the first two lines of every soliloquy and nothing else. I have that as a recurring dream. <laughs> I do too, and it's Hamlet with me as well. Is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh my it, god! It is. It's. It's horrifying. Actually, I do remember I was at the National Youth Theatre, and I, I think I must have been about 18, 17 or 18, and I, we were doing Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was, I was the only understudy, I think, or one of two, and I was understudying about four different people, and I'd learnt them all. This was about the time when uh, I think we'd been up running for two nights, and I'd, underst- I'd learnt them all except one of the, char- the characters. I'd still only learned half of that one. I just hadn't caught up yet. Yeah. I, you know, and I'd, I'd learned Demetrius Lysander, Oberon, and someone else. And um, the actor didn't show up of the <laughs> guy I'd only learned half of. Was it Puck? No, it, yeah. it, it, was, one, it was one of the lovers. It was lovers. Demetrius or, or, or yeah. Lysander. And, but because the guy hadn't shown up earlier in rehearsals, and I'd come on with my lines learned, and everyone went, wow, he knows it. And I'd been <laughs> watching the guy, and I'd gone through the blog. So the director... The actor did show up at the very last minute, but he said, you know what, Colin? You're good enough. You go on. Which could have been Star is Born. Oh, my God. But because that was the one I only knew half of, (laughs) that was a moment a bit like that. I've I've let everybody think that I've got this. And and I thought I could do the first half and then I'll have to go on with it. You know, and it it was was, never again would I allow myself to be that unprepared. Oh, my God. And I, I, it it ended up okay, but I've had first nights where I have had an inner meltdown completely where yeah. I've been convinced I cannot go on I am not ready at all I haven't had enough rehearsal I don't know my lines well enough I've just got to go on anyway there's a terrifying little light backstage mm-hmm. you know traffic lights it's, it's red standby you know yeah. yellow means you're about to go green yeah. means walk you're on <laughs> and that just means ready or not you go it, it, it sometimes it's not no one's interested in whether you're ready 
<laughs> Just do You're it. You're on yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, have you ever been an understudy? Have you ever had that experience? Um, not not that experience, not that experience but I've had yeah. the experience of of, of watching the green, the light turn from red to amber to to green and and feeling uh, just yes absolutely and the lines. Not ready the backstage calls this is your 5 minute call yeah it's terrifying it's proper <laughs> it's it's horror it's proper terror isn't <laughs> it's it just terror yeah i think it is as frightened as it I is, I'm yes i'm capable of. i mean me I, too yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm not an actor i've had the dream as well i've had the dream of being on stage suddenly thrust into a stage to doing a play for whatever reason i have no idea why and i mm. don't know the lines i'm mm. walking on with the, the with the text in my hand just mm. read it out Mm. So it happens to us all. It's fine. Sometimes in the dream, then I start to... Occasionally, mostly it's just I dry and I can't say anything. But there have been a couple of times where I've slightly enjoyed the dream where I've made, made Shakespeare up. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, you. Yeah, yeah. I sort of made it up and it sort of sounded forsooth, my lord, your, my lead, wow. your lunch, you know, whatever. Do you, yeah. do you dream an iambic pentameter? Is that... Well, normally no, but there are a couple of times when I've, I've made it up. Yeah, it's obviously... I think you, very... might, you have more self-love than I do. <laughs> and in your dreams, have you ever played Elizabeth Taylor? No. no. I have. No. <laughs> and you'd be a spectacular Elizabeth Taylor, sir. Fantastic. Rachel, Colin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you Thank so you. much. Okay, so that was Colin Firth and Rachel Feiss, uh, and that's kick off the reviews section with a very short review of Black Panther. And the reason why we're doing this now is because we're going to be reviewing it properly next week at our live show, which is being recorded on Valentine's Day, the evening of February 14th at King's Place, our 300th episode. And we're going to save our big review of uh, Black Panther, which opens on the 13th. We're going to save that for Len. Uh, by the way, there are some tickets still available. We confirmed our guests this week. I still don't think I can announce them on Twitter, but believe me, if you come along on Valentine's Day, uh, you will find cracking guests awaiting you. Plus, spot prizes. We need to sort those out. Yes, spot but prizes. Please, please bring roses and chocolates and cards. Yes, but for me, the emphasis heavily on chocolates, yes. Uh, so we're going to talk about Black Panther in depth next week. And obviously, there is a spoiler special as well. It is going to be coming your way on February 20th, I think. Uh, I just spoke to Ryan Coogler this morning and had a lot of fun doing it and that was uh, that was really, really interesting. So check that one out. But first, let's talk about Black Panther briefly. So Jimbo. Briefly. Well, I, 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 I liked it a lot. We gave this film four stars, uh, a rating which I wholeheartedly endorse. Uh, I thought it was great. <laughs> it's in following... Yeah. Ryan Coogler's now got, a, yeah. he's got an alert on his phone going, thank God, thank God, James Dyer has wholeheartedly endorsed four it's stars. True. It's true. I, I'm James Dyer and I've approved this message. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, really like this. I think following on, as it does, from Marvel's first comedy. This is, it's a nice capsule movie. It's a, it's a very nice change of pace from the sort of global destruction that we see a lot, or intergalactic discussion, uh, destruction in some cases. You know, this is, takes very much, it's focused on Wakanda. It's, the, it's that sort of like world-building ecosystem in this kind of protectorate African nation. And it's, it's a really interesting exploration of that character. I'm not sure what I was expecting from this film, but loved the character. Yeah, didn't love the action as much. Yeah, okay, I can, I can see that. I can see not because it's bad, but it's more yeah. modest, generic. less ambitious, slightly more generic. Yeah. yeah, and a little more CG heavy than I think I would have ideally liked. Ultimately, mm. when you have two guys fighting in CG costumes, you end up with two CG characters wailing on each other, and there's something about that visual that 
lacks the punch of having you know real people mm. in, in broad and con- I'd take a David Leach action sequence you know it's mm. worlds apart from that yeah. that said watching and sorry to DC's fans for having to say this but watching two characters in this film CG characters wailing on each other is a world apart from watching two DC characters wailing on each other. Oh God! Um, oh God! Just open, in that, no, oh, I'm, no, can open worms everywhere. You did not. <laughs> no, that's. Why? Oh, why have you done this? I'm sorry, they're I'm at the sorry. door. They are. They're release the Snyder Cut banner. Yeah. <laughs> no. Throwing each other through buildings repeatedly until yeah. we fall down. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah, okay. So it looks amazing. Yeah, it does. And it's very hard to overemphasize the cultural significance of this movie. I mean, this movie yeah. means so much uh, to so many people. And T'Challa is is an African character. He is, yeah. And the interesting thing about this movie is that it is almost entirely set in Africa, mm-hmm. albeit a fictional country, Wakanda. It is almost entirely populated by African characters. Yep. But that's extraordinary. And mm. it is suffused. It is just absolutely suffused with African influences, design influences, music influences, cultural influences, it, which makes it feel, I think, unlike anything we've seen in the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting because beyond that, it's actually a fairly standard Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It reminded me a lot of the template of Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and Iron Man. It feels very much like an origin story in that way. But it f- looks and feels completely different beyond that. Also, just, uh, you know, without going into too much more detail, because we are going to cover this next week, mm-hmm. um, Michael B. Jordan, he is absolutely magnetic as mm-hmm. Killmonger. I thought incredibly yeah. charismatic actor. I th- uh, the, time the cast are all smashing. I, I think that uh, uh, Danae Guerrera, um, who plays Michonne in The Walking yeah. Dead, is... <laughs> One of the standouts of this movie for She's me. She's the MVP in many ways. Uh, in many ways, as a Koye, uh, who's one of the, uh, the Dora Milaje, who the, the sort of all-female fighting force. You got a glimpse of them in Civil War, who mm. accompanied T'Challa on his travels and uh, can in many ways kick as much ass as the Black Panther can. I love the Tisha Wright as Shuri, his sister, who's very, very smart and very, very uh, sarky. Black Panther's Q. Black Panther's Q in many, many ways, and we, we talk about that in the spoiler special. And so... You know, it's got re- it's it's got a lot going for it. I uh, I do agree that four stars is absolutely right. I think that it, this is one that's going to uh, grow uh, with repeated viewings. So four stars in for the Black Panther. And if you thought that wasn't a long review, <laughs> we went a little bit longer than anticipated. Sorry about that. But uh, we'll be weighing in next week at the live podcast with Helen and Terry in attendance as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we don't have a lot of time left to talk about the Cloverfield paradox. Yes, which and which dropped. On Sunday night, wasn't it? Just it came out of nowhere. It appeared. Yeah. Now this is the big one. We we, we we were talking about could a movie ever just appear without yeah. marketing? Mm-hmm. And then the Cloverfield Paradox. They must be listening to the podcast. That that's got to be it. Uh, did so. So we we the story of the film. Very very quickly, it was owned by Paramount. It was funded and owned by Paramount. Paramount sold it a couple of weeks ago to Netflix, and the reason for that seems to be that they didn't think it would make a lot of money at the box office. Uh, it might have, might have got a critical kicking, which it did, which it has. Mm. And so to maybe offset either a small profit, they went for a bigger profit. And there's reports this week that they sold it for $50 million. Okay, so they did that. And that means it's not going to get a cinematic release. It gets released instead of Netflix. We knew it was going to be on Netflix, but we didn't know when. We thought it was going to be April. And then at the Super Bowl, they, they dropped the trailer going... This is available after the game. And the cast didn't know it was going to drop. And they, they didn't, didn't know yet. the title either, did That's they? That's correct, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I spoke to um, David Yellowell last night and uh, Roger Davis, who plays Michael in the film, and uh, yeah, they said they, they had no idea. And in fact, they didn't really know that when they were making it that it was a Cloverfield movie. So these things change, don't they? They change. But let's talk about the movie itself. So it is uh, set in a space station. Is. And it features a group of uh, astronauts, a group of international astronauts, including an Irish astronaut played hey. by Chris O'Dowd. Well done. When, when you we get someone up in the sky eventually, come on, lads, don't be afraid of it. And so he plays an Irish astronaut, and uh, it stars Gugu and Bathoraw, David O'Yellowo, uh, who else is in it? Daniel Bruhl, Sang Si. Really, really good cast, and they're trying to save the planet, which is, which is depleting its energy resources. And to do so, they trigger a big old particle accelerator. And then things go wrong from there. Indeed. And how it becomes a Cloverfield film, we can't discuss. But we are going to do a spoiler special in this film. Yeah. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the film itself, what do you think? It's it's very average, isn't it? It's it's it, it goes where so many similar films have gone better before. You know, it's not as good as Life. It's not as good as Rent Horizon. It's not as good as Armageddon. You know, it's it's guys on a space station. There's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of horror. But it's very uneven. It's not really very scary. It's not really very exciting. Uh, Chris O'Dowd is pretty funny, but he's not given a... Gr- I mean, he's inherently funny, but the material he has isn't spectacular either. And I don't think you're ever that invested in what's going on. You're not all that interested in seeing how it plays out, because the fundamental conceit, I think, is fairly obvious from the get-go. Uh, not a lot of surprises. Again, it, it feels a lot like a kind of a slightly middle-of-the-road science fiction film, albeit one with a fantastic cast, which has been shoehorned into the Cloverfield template at the 11th hour. <laughs> Uh, which seems to be the trend here. Ben? I've kind of changed my mind on this. So I watched it on Monday night uh, when I got home from work and I was really disappointed. I like I loved Ten Cloverfield Lane and that was such a surprise and uh, it was so sharp and so tight and that's not what I got from The Cloverfield Paradox. But uh, I saw it again last night uh, at a screening. There was like a screening so I could see it in a pretty much cinema surrounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a combination of getting the chance to see it on a big screen and seeing it for the second time around, I actually had quite a lot of fun with it. It is not a great film, and it's not tight, and it's not as as sharp. The, the tension in, in Ten Cloverfield Lane is so sharp, and it feels like it started out, that started out as a really, really strong script. The script here is the problem, but um, I think it's a shame that people won't get a chance to see this on the big screen, because I think mm. visually it's really strong, um, I think, um, like the design of the spaceship, and so it, it reminded me in some ways of um, of JJ Star Trek. The the um, the the use of color, mm-hmm. the amount of kind of uh, that combination of um, really smooth, clean surfaces, but also it's not the really gritty industrial alien mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. thing. It's it's um, it looks really good on the big screen, and as well, the score I think adds a lot to it, okay. um, and it makes it feel really. Pacey, and it was more engaging seeing it on a big screen than it was. It's Bear McCreary it. again, isn't it? Bear McCreary again, he did a yeah. fantastic job with uh, with Cloverfield Lane, actually. I love that score. Mm-hmm. This feels like a game changer for me in many ways. So I'd be really intrigued to see whether this happens again, and, and will it happen again? We know, for example, that the fourth Cloverfield movie, Paramount mm-hmm. still own the rights to the yeah. franchise, and the future of the franchise will be released on the big screen. But that's what it's telling us right now. But you, you never know how that might turn out. This is the World War II zombie thing it we is, were talking yeah. about last week, Overlord, if that's indeed its name. It feels like the the event of the movie itself and its release is perhaps more important than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. But you know, we'll get into that. We'll get into the whole thing about watching it on the big screen versus watching it on the small screen, and what it must be like, I imagine, for a director who makes something with a big screen, and then suddenly having that taken away from you 
but at the same time you know that probably more people are going to watch it on Netflix than would have ever watched in the cinema. There must be a strange pull there. There must be a strange dilemma for directors. This isn't, this isn't like a Duncan Jones with Mute mm-hmm. or Gareth Evans with Apostle. It's not like that at all. This is a different situation. Uh, but the movie itself, you know, it's fine. It, it, it's one of those movies that reminds you that there are better movies out there. It's fun. It's, it's a bit of fun in places. Let's not get carried away. It's the sort of thing where you can actually understand. If you had paid to go and see it at the cinema, you would probably not be as happy as you are if you're just slouched at home on your sofa in your boxer shorts and you you, you just fancy a nice flick on your on your living room couch. That is actually a very valid point. It's it's we, I could not recommend going to the cinema to see this. I could absolutely recommend spending an hour and a half watching it on Netflix. So there we go. Or indeed an hour and 45 minutes. Unless yeah. you just no, want to stop 15 you, minutes yeah, before the end. Don't watch the last 15 minutes is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, although that said, this is a film which has two parallel narratives. One of which is the bulk of it and the other of which is one of the most underwritten things I've ever encountered. <laughs> and whenever you switch back to narr- like the bleed plot, you're like, what are you doing? Just move on. It seems to exist solely to push product placement for M&M's. But anyway. I did want some M&M's afterwards. So it yeah, so did I. I always want M&M's. Crispy are the best. Uh, okay, so two stars. We gave two stars then to the Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, and then we're going to very, very quickly talk about the Mercy, or more accurately, I'm going to talk about the Mercy because these two MFers haven't seen it. I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to keep a PG-13. In keeping with the film, I could just pretend that I've seen it. <laughs> Where well, we go round and round oh, in circles. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. You guys <laughs> have got done meta. Some, you've done some reading. Uh, so this is directed by James Marsh. It is the story of Donald Crowhurst, who in 1969, he was an ordinary guy. He was a bit of an entrepreneur, a bit of an inventor, a bit of a, a, a hobby hobbyist of a sailor. And he decided to enter a round-the-world solo sailing competition called the Golden Globe. Uh, the first prize was £5,000, which is a lot now, and it was even more uh, back then. And uh, he builds a trimaran to, to do this, uh, gets some sponsorship, puts his family's future, their house, their business, everything on the line to try and do this, embarks upon the, the cruise, knows he is overwhelmingly underprepared, knows that he's probably sailing into disaster because he's British and that's what we do. We run headlong head first off a cliff knowing that bad things wait for us down below. Is this a metaphor for Ben's first podcast appearance? It's a metaphor for, it's a metaphor for many things. Bexit. It's a, metaphor, it's a metaphor for that. And uh, he gets on the boat anyway and then in the course of doing that he realised very, very quickly that he was completely and hopelessly out of his depth and that his chances of survival were 50-50 as you've heard in the interview with Colin Firth. And so he decides to fabricate his position along the route and then rejoin the race. His plan was to rejoin the race and then just come in last and just to say things go horribly wrong and he himself went insane as uh, as evidenced in his uh, logbooks and diaries and voice recordings that he left behind as well. Uh, so meanwhile we're following Colin Firth on the, uh, open, on the open sea and uh, Rachel Feist uh, at home waiting for her husband to come back, trying to put on a brave face for the for the media, for the, for the people of the country, and, of course, for their family. And it's a really interesting, heart-wrenching drama at times. Uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. So we gave it four stars, and, uh, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that 100%. So four stars then for The Mercy. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast and Ben's debut on the podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Can't Say! Can't say because it's a live podcast. Live so, and unleashed, uncensored, yes. unrated. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be scary. And if there you will do be fans, swearing. Just, there will yeah. be swearing. Yeah, yeah. We, we should go a little bit uh, blue for the. Yeah. 
on the live podcast. But yeah, what can you do? Uh, so if you want to come along and see that, there's still a couple of tickets left, so buy them now, kingsplace.co.uk. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, see you then. Ben, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been, yeah. been wicked to be on here. Oh, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna drill that into you in okay. the next few weeks. That's good. Uh, and of course, it's a goodbye for James as well. Yeah, sweet in it or something. Yeah, and check out our Cloverfield Paradox spoiler special with JJ Abrams and the yes. director Julius Ona, which is going to be up on uh, Monday or Tuesday uh, when I get round to it. I am off to once again try and storm the stage and play King George III in Hamilton. One of these days, they won't be able to stop me. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.